0: Today I want us to look at the spiritual frustration, especially from our own struggles and failures. There's a, a bit of a strange story here. Uh, Mark chapter 8, let's start reading in verse 22, we'll go through verse 25. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes, he... By the way, um, Jesus healed people, especially blind people, two or three times by spitting on their eyes. <laughs> Does it seem a little strange? Um, some people have said that, the, that uh, there is healing properties in saliva. Mm, if that was, my grandmother used to spit on her apron and wipe off my face. So I should be healed in my face. <laughs> uh, now, I think the idea is, if you, uh, spitting on someone in the first century, just like it is today, is an insult. But you notice Jesus didn't spit on the person he spit on the problem he always put the spit on the eye if he's a blind man not on the man so much on the on the problem he was insulting the disease he's cursing the curse and killing the death <laughs> so i I think I wouldn't see this as like Jesus doing something insulting to the man. Now the, the problem with the man is his blindness, and that's where Jesus insults. I hate this blindness, and I want you gone. So praise God that He feels passionate about our issues. Well, uh, when he spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, "Do you see anything?" And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, I've been talking to you about recovering your joy, how to deal with the spiritual conflicts and depression, even oppression from Satan. And I think it's important that a Christian be happy. Would you agree with that? For our testimony, for one thing, you know, we don't, we can't draw people to uh, with a sadness. I think it's important that we have joy, and for ourselves, Proverbs seventeen twenty two says that a merry heart, a happy heart, does good like a medicine. It's good for you to be happy. It helps your body. So there's a lot of reasons for to be a joyful Christian. Nehemiah 10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that's, that's the goal of God, the normal standard for, to which He has called us. So many Christians, though, find themselves in misery. And confusion and frustration. They're like this blind man who seems partially healed. I got something, but it's not enough. I actually had a man tell me one time. He came up after a service and he said, you know what? I got to tell you, since I became a Christian, I have been more miserable than I've ever been in my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about that for a lot. I mean, that was years ago. But I want to I encourage you here because I want to show you that conflict is not unusual for a Christian. Frustration is not unusual for a Christian. And I, I, just by way of introduction, I want to give you a couple of verses that I think will help you to get this. The way the Bible describes the non Christian. Here's a here's a verse. Luke eleven twenty-one. Jesus has cast out a demon here in the context, and his and the Pharisees are requiring an explanation. And he says to them, Well, look, here's the explanation. Uh, King James Version says, uh, when a strong man is guarding his palace, his goods are in peace. But then a stronger one comes, that's Jesus, he comes and takes away all his armor and his goods. So you're the goods. Lost people are the goods. You're not the goods. But lost people are the goods. Unsaved, unchristian people are the goods. And a strong man guards his household of goods and keeps them in peace. The, the New American Standard Version uh, puts it like this. When a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. See, that's lost people. That, uh, they are in peace. They are content in their lostness. But then, this was us at one time, right? We were totally happy. Uh, uh, But then he says, a stronger one comes and overpowers a strong one and takes all his goods. That's us. Jesus intervened. Jesus overwhelmed. Jesus overpowered. Here's another verse. uh, 1 John 5 in verse 19 and 20. uh, John says, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies or lays down. The Greek word there is uh, katai. K-E-I-T-A-I. The whole world lies, katai, in the power or lap of the evil one, Satan. And that word katai is used of a baby laying in a manger. It's used, for example, in Luke 2.16 when it says that Jesus, they found Jesus with Mary and Joseph and He was a baby lying in a manger. The word katai is used there for lying. So the whole, we're of God, but the whole world, of which we used to be part, lies like a little baby in a manger in the power of of the evil one. Guess who is rocking you to sleep? The evil one. <laughs> See, we're—he keeps us content. Somebody comes along and and gives a witness, bears witness to us, or invites us to church, or uh, gives us a testimony. And but Satan comes right there and says, "Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, rockabye, baby, yeah, go back to sleep." And that's the way Satan does. He keeps us distracted. He keeps us entertained and amused. By the way, you know the word amuse comes from the word muse, which means to think. And ah is simply the negative. Ah muse means don't think. Don't think about it. We're all going to die someday. Well, don't think about it. We're going to stand before God and give account. Don't think about it. Jesus is the only Savior or He's not. Don't think about that. rock a baby. You see? And so we we are goods undisturbed, lying in peace like a baby. And then Jesus comes. <laughs> he can come in dreams. He can come in scriptures. He can come in and friends and neighbors or a relative, a husband or a wife, a child, Jesus can come and He can disturb us and ultimately overcome the enemy and deliver us. Now, conflict is often the characteristic of the converted. Because being content in lostness is the characteristic of the unconverted. So, we conclude then, by introduction here, that a conflict and a struggle and a disturbance of the soul is a sign of the activity of the sovereign Savior. Now, this... this. Miracle that we have here is quite unusual. It's only given to us in Mark, and uh, it's a half a healing. (laughs) That's weird. Jesus healed him halfway, and then he healed him a second half. And you must understand that this guy had to have the frustration of being half healed. Spiritual conflict. What, uh, Jesus touched me. He's, has he, what's he going to do? What's his testimony? He goes home, and he tells his wife, Jesus has healed me. I can see. I see men as trees walking. And his wife's like, hey, that's great. Praise Jesus. You still can't get a job. See, this doesn't seem to glorify Jesus here. And it produces frustration in the man who's half healed and delivered. So what is going on here? Was Jesus tired? Did he not have enough power? Well, that just doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't resonate with with us. Um, And we know that Jesus perform miracles without depleting his inherent power and authority. An example is Mark chapter 5, verse 30, where the woman came to Jesus... And he said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, then I know I'll be healed. And so she pressed her way through and she touched. And it says in Mark 5.30, power went out. He felt it. He could feel power go out of him. Okay? So if power went out of him, what did he do next? Go rest? No. He went straight from there over to a man's house whose daughter had died and raised her from the dead all in one chapter. So it doesn't look like he lost any power there, does it? When you can heal somebody and then to go raise the dead, that looks like you got plenty left over. So that that doesn't speak to my heart here. I, I think there's a better explanation. And I think here's the clue of what is going on in this miracle of the healing of the blind man. In Mark 8, verse 22, no, verse 23. Mark 8, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. People had brought this blind man to him and said, Please touch him. And Jesus says, All right, come here. And he takes him and he leads him out away from the people. Just now it's just him, the blind man, and the disciples. What is Jesus doing here? He often does miracles for the sake of his disciples. For their instruction. In other words, he uses miracles as a PowerPoint. (laughs) An example is, John 11, 14 and 15. They came to Jesus and says, Lazarus, your friend, is sick. And Jesus tarried. He waited. And then they came and said, your friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus said, now let us go to Lazarus. He's died. He's dead. And here's what Jesus told his disciples when they questioned him about it. John eleven fourteen 14, and 15. Jesus said to them, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Because now I'm going to build your faith. And he takes the disciples down to the tomb... He raises Lazarus from the dead, hands him back to his family, and says, now God is glorified. Now, he he did that, it says, for his disciples. So they would know he's the resurrection and the life. They had seen him conquer diseases, conquer the Sea of Galilee. They had seen him heal the the sick, raise... they had seen him cast out demons, but they had not seen him raise the dead at this point. So he raises Lazarus from the dead. So here is what Jesus seems to be doing. He takes the blind man by the hand, walks him out away from people in front of the disciples, and gives to him a second touch So that now he sees clearly. Now, why do the disciples need a second touch? Well, if you look at the context, that's another clue. Now, remember this. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus has fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. He had 12 baskets left over. In Mark chapter 8, that we're in here. He fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish, and they had seven baskets left over. So he's fed 5,000 men and had food left. He's fed 4,000 with food left, and now he's in an, in an argument, or an, he engages the Pharisees on their legalism. That is in verse Mark chapter 8, Verse 11. Now look at verse chapter 8, verse 14. They get into a boat and are starting to cross over to the other side of the lake. Mark 8, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them. Verse 15. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. See, he's been arguing, he's been debating Pharisees. And he's warning them about the evil, uh, how the, the teaching of Pharisees can be like leaven or yeast and just encompass the whole loaf. It'll permeate your life. Watch out for legalism. Trust the grace of God. So he says to them, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. It'll encompass your life. And the disciples in verse 16, Mark 8 16, began to discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus is looking at them. Okay, I just said, don't uh, be aware beware of the leaven of the pharisees the disciples thought he was fussing at them because they had brought no bread not the sharpest knives in the drawer here and jesus looks at them and says guys look at verse 17 why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread Do you not perceive or understand? Verse 18. Do you have eyes and yet do not see? And then he says, When I fed the 5,000 men with women and children, was that a problem? Didn't we have food left over? And then just yesterday, I fed, or this morning, I fed 4,000 people. And didn't we have food left over? I say yeah. Well, do you think I have a problem with bread? <laughs> you know? I mean, think. What are you, what's wrong with you? Do you have eyes and don't yet see? So they get to the other side. And they bring in this blind man. And he says, come here, I want to do something. And he walks him out of town in front of his disciples and heals him part way. Look at this. Partial vision. Hmm. And then, he says, what do you see? I don't see good. I I know something's different about my life, and I know my vision is different. I know you have touched me. I have some light and some sight. But it's enough to make me frustrated and miserable. I need more help. Amen? See, this is why I say sometimes conflict is an indication you are a Christian, not an indication you're not. Your misery quotient may indicate the level of your burden for God. So here in front of the disciples, he gives him a second touch and illustrates the partial vision of the disciples that they need more of what Jesus has to give. So here's my sermon now. Here's some lessons for Christian strugglers. Here's my my three points and a poem. I got a poem at the end. Three points and a poem. Here's lessons for for Christian strugglers. I would say even say fellow strugglers. Number one, God often uses our struggles, our frustrations as a means of instructing and encouraging others. See, your partial healing and deliverance, partial, has sometimes has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the testimony and ministry God is developing in you for others. In other words, your problem may not be about you. It may be just part of God's formation of your future. People have a hard time recognizing the fact that God may permit a struggle to remain because they think it's all about me. (laughs) Why wouldn't God heal me? Why wouldn't God help me? He has helped you some. Some. You wouldn't be here. Do you have a weakness? Is it frustrating you? And you know Jesus is the answer, and you know that He can do it. Why is He prolonging your misery? Listen at this verse. Hebrews 5, verse 1 and 2 every high priest chosen from among men, that is the spiritual leadership, is appointed to act on behalf of men in in relation to God. He offers sacrifices for sins. Hebrews 5 verse 2. And he can deal gently with them, the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Your weakness qualifies you to minister to the ignorant and the wayward. Otherwise, you would be like the Pharisee. You step back, condemn them, they're wrong, black and white, boom. There you go. But now, you share the same burden and guilt and secret. He is beset. With weakness. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just uh, flip over here real quick. This is, if you don't have, if you're not aware of this verse, this is a great verse. Uh, Are you afflicted this morning? Do you have affliction? Don't raise your hand. Um, I already know. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse... Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. (laughs) There's purpose in your affliction. There's purpose in your struggle and in your misery and in your pain, in your partial healing. It's for the disciples. You can almost watch for your calling by looking at your pain. Great. I must be called to be a doctor of pain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Watch the area of your weakness. Because what is Jesus doing with this partially healed blind man? He's. This is not about the blind man. This is about the disciples who are spiritually, visually impaired. And He's giving them a living miracle. Here's a second lesson, I think, that would be helpful to us, and that is that uh, we, we need to be sure we stay with Jesus. The, the man was healed partially, didn't run off and say, hey, I got what I could from Jesus, now I'm going to go get from what I can from somebody else. Stay confident in Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. The Savior who gave you partial deliverance will ultimately grant you total victory. Hallelujah. Just keep your confidence in Jesus. Here's what he said in Hebrews 10.35 because they were in danger of losing confidence in Jesus. They had a measure of light. But he says in Hebrews 10.35, Do not throw away your confidence. It has great reward. Amen. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He promised. See, God has promised some things, and you don't yet have it. He says, keep your confidence in Jesus Christ. And after you've endured, you will receive what is promised. Keep your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He when Jesus said, "Well, what do you see?" He's, he was honest with Jesus. He said, "I don't see fully." And he was humble before Jesus, but he stayed with Jesus. Here's a third lesson, I think, for us this morning, is, don't let your experience define your faith. That is, what is normal? What is a normal Christian? See, he didn't say, okay, I can't see, I guess this is the way I'm supposed to be. And he goes around and gives a testimony about a half vision experience with Jesus. He then takes that and says, here's my experience, therefore this is the way it's supposed to be. No, turn that around. Here's the way it's supposed to be, but here's my experience. So therefore, I know there's a gap. But don't give up on victory in Jesus Christ and triumphant living in Christ just because you haven't experienced it. Don't go around saying we all sin, we all, all day, we're all supposed to live in defeat and bondage and misery and pain till Jesus comes. No. That's not, that's getting your experience and making it, The truth, the level of normalcy. Christian normalcy is victory in Jesus. But we're at different stages. And He has different plans for us. I want want you to see the end result. Jesus laid His hands on Him, on His eyes again. Verse 25 and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. That is what Jesus ultimately does full, total restoration. He saw everything clearly. That's where you're headed. It's the same thing Paul says in Philippians 1 when he says, I'm, I thank God at every time I remember you, he says to the Philippians. And I'm sure of this, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion and fullness at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to, what he started, he's going to bring to absolute completion. So let God use your struggles your conflicts, your defeats even, your depression, your failures. And let me tell you, He's not an inadequate Savior. We must trust Him and hold confidence tight in Him. Don't give up your confidence. For someday, we will see everything clearly. In the words of an old hymn, we will understand it better by and by. Y'all ever heard that? We sang that this morning at first service. Charles Tenley was a little black boy born in the 19th century in Maryland. That was a tough life. Added to it, his mother died when he was two. And even though free, he, had, he was so poor he had to work alongside the slaves. He became a janitor in a church nearby and began to attend. And as he grew up, he became a Christian. But was constantly fighting the circumstances and environment in which he grew up. He taught himself Greek and learned Hebrew by attending synagogues, Charles Tinley became a wonderful Methodist pastor in the state of Maryland in the early 20th century. From 1900 on, famous preacher. Looking back on his life, he wrote that song, By and by, when the morning comes, and the saints of God Or gathered home, we'll tell the story how we overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. He's the one that wrote that. Seeing everything clearly, that's where we're headed. Stay confident in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today, not only for your power, but for your wisdom. And we praise You and thank You and trust You even as You apportion out our measure of deliverance. We glorify Your name. We know You are good. And though we may not understand and see properly now, we thank You for people You've brought into our life that You use as illustrations. I pray You will bless them. I pray pray You will bless this congregation, every struggling Christian here today. May their heart be full of faith and joy in Jesus Christ. May their experience one day match the biblical teaching. And we pray it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.